2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just talking about the new life, the new creations we become in Christ Jesus. Let's, let me read this from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. Good news, hey? The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together, shall we, church? God, we're just so thankful. We're so thankful that we are your children. Oh, God, this is not anything that we've done. It's all through what you have done through sending your son, Jesus. You came and lived among us. You died on a cross. You took upon yourself our sin. And this morning, we can be called your children. We can be called righteous, not through what we've done, but because we've trusted in all that you have done in paying the penalty on the cross for our sin. We want to say thank you, God. Thank you that you are no longer uh, one who uh, we're afraid of anymore. We stand in awe, we love you, we worship you, and we thank you, God. We pray that you'd help us to help as many people as we can to know this. Lord, at this time in our city, we pray that we would be salt and light as people consider uh, starting up strip clubs in, in Albury. That grieves us, God. We know you don't want that, and we just pray you'd help us to really make a stand and make our voice heard. God, we also uh, think this morning about the great needs in our community to come and know you as their Lord and Saviour and help us to be wise in our, in our workplaces as we live our lives, that we would honour you in every way as we live. And God, help us to pray for those around us, for opportunities to share, and may we make the most of every opportunity, speaking with grace and love, but telling people about you. God, we pray for the Yao people so far away today, and yet so much needing to know you. And God, we pray that you would help us to do what we can to help them come to know you. Oh God, we thank you for this moment to worship you, to praise you today. Help us uh, be thankful and help us take what we have to others. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we're going to hear from John. You don't look like you stuff it. You look too young and too healthy for your age. Doesn't look like any of you have suffered.
Well, this morning, um, I think you'll agree with me that so many people have the wrong idea about Jesus. I mean, many people listen to media and they talk to friends today and uh, they listen to opinions on talkback radio and they uh, even listen to various different kinds of messages that come out from churches about who Jesus is. And a lot of it is wrong. You know, a lot of the things that we hear about who Jesus is is wrong. And today I want to talk to you about the Jesus I know, the Jesus that I've known for 25 years now, and Jesus who has changed my life. And I want to not only provide information for you this morning, all of you, but I want to help you experience Jesus today. And the way I want to do this is I've been thinking a little bit about imagining if a man from Africa, from Malawi, from the Yao people, called me on his mobile phone, which is a bit unrealistic anyway, and he said, I'm not good at African voices, Mark, but said something like, Jonathan, you know, I'm a I'm man from Malawi, Yao man. I'm down at the Wadonga Plaza. You know, I've caught a plane to Albury. I'll meet you, Gloria Jeans, five minutes. Want to talk to you about Jesus. And I imagine what, what I do, you know, I obviously get there quickly and I can imagine just walking into Gloria Jeans there in the Wadonga Plaza and this man dressed just like he would in uh, Malawi waiting there to meet me. And I imagine him sitting down saying, Jonathan, would you tell me who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And I think, what would I say to my Yao friend who asked me that? And then I think, what would I say to you today who might say, who, who is Jesus? I want to just tell you three stories that I would tell. And then... Um, we could think about how this might apply to us today personally. If you don't know Jesus, how that might apply to you and how it might apply to us in helping others know the Jesus that I have come to know. The first story is a sad story. It took place in Korea shortly after the Korean War and a Korean woman had an affair with an American soldier and she got pregnant and he went back to the United States of America and she never saw him again. And then she gave birth to a little girl and this little girl looked different to all the other little children in Korea. She had light-coloured hair, she had curly hair and in that culture, children of mixed race were ostracised. They were treated really unfairly. And in fact, many Korean women who were in her, her situation, had killed their children because they knew what, what they would face ahead of them. They didn't want them to suffer the rejection that they knew they would face. But this woman didn't do that. She had this little baby girl and she raised her the best that she could. And for seven years, she tried to do that until the rejection was just too much. And she did what... She did something which probably none of us here would ever imagine doing, but she abandoned her little girl 
to the streets. This girl was ruthlessly taunted by people on the street. They called her the ugliest word in the Korean language, which is tuki, which means alien devil. And it didn't take long for this little girl to actually draw conclusions about herself based on the way people treated her. For two years, she lived on the streets until she finally made her way to an orphanage. One day, a word came that a couple from America were going to come and adopt a little boy. And all the children in the orphanage got very excited because at least one boy would be going to a home. One boy would have hope. And it was a new beginning for one of them. And he was going to have a family. So this little girl spent the day cleaning up the little boys and making them look nice and giving them baths and combing their hair and wondering which one it would be that would be adopted by the American couple. The next day, the couple came. And this is what the little girl recalled. This is her own words. It was like Goliath had come back to life. I saw the man with his huge hands lift up each and every baby. I knew he loved every one of them as if they were his own. I saw tears running down his face and I knew if they could, they would have taken the whole lot home with them. Then she said, he saw me out of the corner of his eye. And listen now to her description of herself. Now let me tell you, I was nine years old, but I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny thing. I had worms in my body. I had lice in my hair. I had boils all over me. I was full of scars. I was not a pretty sight. But the man came over to me and he began rattling away something in English. And I looked up at him. Then he took his huge hand and laid it on my face. He was saying, what was he saying? He was saying, I want this child. This is the one for me. When I first read this story, I was gripped because I think that's just like the Jesus I know. See, Jesus would do that because Jesus looks at me, that Jesus looks on people and he peers beneath the sin the ugliness of our sin, the scars of our failure, the, the, the woundedness of our lives. And he looks down right within our soul and sees one who is made in the image of God. And Jesus wants to take your face and say, this one is mine. This is one I want as my own. My own child. This is one whom from the very foundations of the earth, when I made the earth, I had in mind for my own. I want to adopt you, Jesus says. I guess if I was at Gloria Jean's, I would kind of tell something like this and say to the Yao person, Jesus wants to adopt you as his own. 
He wants you to be called his own. And if you're like me, you come to church today and perhaps you see people who all around who you know have been Christians for a long, long time and you, you think they look and they act so lovely. But deep down you know what your sin is like. And perhaps this morning you're thinking, if they only knew the secret sins of my life or the secret fantasies or the things that I hide deep down, they would reject me just like the, uh, the, world, the China, Korean people rejected this little girl. But Jesus is not like that. <coughs> he knows the secret sin. He knows the, the secrets that you would never tell anyone that you're so ashamed of. And yet, he doesn't see you that way. He knows everything already. He's aware of all that that's in your life. But even still, he reaches out to you. He clasps your face and says, I want that one. You know, something shocking happened to this nine-year-old little girl. As that man reached out to her, she, she said later, the hand on my face felt so good and inside I said, oh, keep that up. Don't let your hand go. But she said, nobody had ever shown me that kind of affection before. And I didn't know how to respond. So I yanked my hand off my face, his hand off my face, and I looked at him and spat on him. I turned around and I ran away. Can you imagine her window of opportunity, the moment when she could finally be adopted and she spits on his face. When I heard that about her, I thought, wow, that's just like me. Because I have heard Christ, I'd heard Jesus call out to me and say, I want you. And yet I've turned my back on him as well. And I wonder if you've ever done that. Let me tell you something amazing about Jesus. He's a lot like the American couple in this story because they returned the next day and they understood the suffering that she'd gone through and they understood the trauma she'd experienced and despite all of her initial rejection of them, they went back to the girl with you know, lice in her hair and boils all over her body and scars in her and they said, we've got to have this child. This is the one we want to adopt. And they did. And her name is Stephanie. And they got her the medical attention that she needed. And they loved her like she was her own, she was their own child. And she became a follower of Jesus as she grew. And she's married now. And she has children of her own. And she tells everybody how much God wants to adopt them. I'd say to my Malawi friend who asked me about Jesus, if you've ever turned your back on him, if you've ever sort of let a window close in your opportunity, God wants to adopt you. He, he wants to give you an opportunity and he's not going to give up even though you might have you know, turned away from him. I'd say that to you this morning. If you feel like you've had opportunities before and you've turned them off, he, 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 he keeps pursuing you because he wants to adopt you. 
Pursue God because he's already pursuing you. You know, the danger's not on his side. He will keep pursuing you. He wants to adopt you because he loves you. You know, the Bible talks about this. It says in Romans 8.23, we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And John chapter 1 and verse 22 says, to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God, to call God Abba, Daddy, to become part of his family. He wants to do that for you. And the failing is not on his part. We can pull back from him and say, no, you can't love me, you couldn't love me. Or we can accept that. I want to tell you a story of forgiveness. I'd tell this next story to my friend. And this is a story that happened in a church where they were doing a baptism service. And what happened in this church is when people came to the uh, front to be baptised, they would first share a testimony. And then they would walk across to a large wooden cross and they would take some, a piece of paper which contained a number of sins that they had committed and they would nail it to the cross, pick up a hammer and nail it to the cross and then turn back and walk over to the baptistry where the pastor would baptise them. It was a very moving time in, in the church that morning as this happened. And let me tell you what one woman wrote as she was baptised that morning. She said, I remember my fear. In fact, it was the most fear I remember in my life. I wrote as tiny as I could on that piece of paper the word abortion. I was so scared someone would open the paper and read it and find out it was me. I wanted to get up and walk out of the auditorium. The guilt and the fear were that strong. When it came my turn, I walked to the cross and I pinned the paper there I was directed to a pastor to be baptised. He looked at me straight in the eyes and I thought for sure he was going to read this terrible secret I kept from everybody for so long. But instead, I felt like God was telling me, I love you. It's okay. You've been forgiven. I felt so much love for me, a terrible sinner. It's the first time I've ever really felt forgiveness and unconditional love. It was unbelievable, indescribable. Do you have inside you a a secret sin that you wouldn't even dare to write down on a paper for somebody might see? Let me tell you something about the Jesus that I know the Jesus who I've been following now for many years. Not only does he want to adopt you as his child, but the Bible says he wants to take the weight of guilt off your shoulders. He wants to set you free from the sin that has weighed you down for so long. 
How do I I know that? Because the Bible just clearly says it. It says in Isaiah 43, verse 25, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isn't that great? We should just say that together, and remembers your sins no more. Why don't we say that? And remembers your sins no more. God says in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jesus came. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty you deserve. So you can be forgiven. I'd say that to my Malawi friend. I tell him that Jesus wants to forgive him, to take the guilt off his shoulders. And say that to you this morning. Final story I want to share with you is a story about a story of redemption. And this is a story that I've read from Lee Strobel's, who's a great author and pastor. And uh, he told <laughs> this story. He actually met the guy that it's about. And I'd tell this story to them about a guy named Billy Moore. He grew up in a, in a tough city in Ohio, and he grew up to an impoverished family, a poor family, people who you know, really struggled to get by. And in his early life, he got involved in crime and he got involved with you know, petty crime when he was young. They'd smoke dope, his mates would get drunk, and then they'd break into tav- taverns and smash cash registers and, and steal cigarettes from cigarette machines and all kinds of things like that. And then when he grew up, he joined the army and he got married. And his wife left him and then took their kids, uh, their kid with her. And he was broke and he was desperate after that. And one night he and a friend were drinking and they were smoking dope and talking about how they were so you know, uh, broke and they didn't have any money at all. And his friend said, hey, look, I know this bloke that lives down the road and he's not too far from here and the word is that he doesn't trust banks and he just keeps money all under his bed and you can, you know, he, he's a sitting target. Billy said, is he, is he a tough guy? Is he someone who's tough? And, and his friend said, no, he's an, he's an old guy. He wouldn't hurt a fly. So the plot was hatched in Billy's mind and he went back to the barracks and he got his gun and he loaded it and he drove to that man's house and he broke into the house and he started ransacking the house. Now, put yourself in the place of this uh, elderly gentleman 77 years old, and he's in the bedroom, and Billy breaks in and he starts um, hearing, the man hears all these noises, and he's afraid. And he doesn't know what to do. He's got a shotgun that he uses for hunting. And so as Billy Moore broke into the bedroom door with a gun in his hand, this elderly man pointed the shotgun and pulled the trigger and a blast went off and the whole blast went right past the shoulder of Billy Moore. Billy took his gun and he pointed it at the old man and he pulled the trigger twice and the gentleman fell dead. Billy rifled through the pockets for any cash and he ransacked the room and he walked away with 5,600 
US dollars. And he fled to his caravan, camper van, in rural Georgia. And it didn't take long for the police to actually track him down. He wasn't a very smart criminal. And they arrested him and they took him to jail. And you can just imagine what it must have felt for him on that first night in his jail cell. He realised for the first time that it's over, that it's finished life for him as he knew it. And he's charged with capital murder. And there's an electric chair that's waiting for him because that's what he would be sentenced to. Uh, Billy's mum was a Christian and she had some friends who were Christians who lived not far from the jail in Georgia. And so she called them up and she said, you know, my son's been charged with capital offence. He's, he's facing execution. Um, he's on death row. Would you please go and visit him? And they went and visited Billy Moore and they sat down and they told him about Jesus. They talked to him about Jesus. And they said to Billy, Jesus is willing to give you a fresh start. And he looked back at them dumbfounded. He said, you've got to be kidding me. Don't you realise my situation here? I just murdered an old grandfather. I'm charged with the death penalty case. My life is over and there are no new beginnings for me. But that Christian man who his mother had asked to speak looked back at Billy Moore and he said, you don't understand. Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you so much that he wants to adopt you as his son. He wants to lift the burden of guilt off your shoulders and he wants to give you a new start so that your life will count. Now, Billy not only heard those words from that man and that woman, but he he heard Jesus in them and he saw Jesus in them and he, he later said, nobody ever told me that Jesus loved me, nobody ever told me that Jesus died for me. He says, it was a love I could feel, it was a love I wanted, it was a love I needed. So Billy Moore, as hopeless and as broken individual as you're ever going to see, got on his knees in his jail cell and said, God, if you're telling me you want to adopt the likes of me, then if you want to forgive me, if you're willing to do that, Jesus, you can have it. You can have me. I'm sorry for all I've done. And I want to live for you. If you would adopt me and take me to heaven, that would be just the best. And then, I don't have much time left, he said, but if you could do something with my life, if you could make it count, it would be just the icing on the cake. You know, Jesus heard that prayer and there was a bathtub in death row and they got permission from the guards and they filled the bath with water and they baptised Billy Moore. They put him under and they pulled him out and they baptised him. And, you know, God began to change Billy Moore's heart and his life from the inside out. Billy went to court and uh, he pleaded guilty. He said, "I, I can't say that I didn't do it when I did. And they found him guilty and they sentenced him to death. And it takes a long time for justice to take place over in America and about 16 years he spent living in this cage waiting to die. But during those 16 years, Billy opened up his life to God. He allowed God to change him from the inside out and he became a model prisoner. So much so that the guards had a nickname for him. They called him the peacemaker. 
and he started having Bible studies with other prisoners. And death row, which was once you know, an ugly, horrible, dirty, violent, hateful place, when Billy Moore got there, it started to change. From Bible studies, they had people became Christians. And one by one, they discovered this redemption that people can come to know Jesus and be saved, even when facing death. I would say to my friend from Malawi, the issue has never been whether God would forgive you. For who amongst us has ever done anything like killing someone in cold blood? He will forgive you if you ask him. Look at what it says, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Nothing you've done is unforgivable. Jesus can forgive you. And it's not the issue whether he can. The issue is will you let God forgive you like Billy Moore did? If Billy can be forgiven by God, then I can for what I've been done. You can. And that issue too for Billy was, hey, God, would you ever make my life really count? And the question is not whether God can do that. It's whether you'll let him do that. Because look what it says. This is just God's word. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. God can do it. He will do it. And he promises that those who put their trace in Jesus will become new. The old gone. The new come. If God can make a change like that, he can make that in your life. Do you know, in um, 1990, August of 1990, the court system finally caught up with Billy Moore and the Supreme Court said, that's it, it's time to die. That's it. And the hours were ticking down to August the 22nd when they would kill him and he was put in the death watch cell where they put guys who were just in the last moments, last hours of life. And his lawyers um, talked, they talked to Lee Strobel about how they'd actually communicated with Billy Moore in the last hours of his, of his you know, facing death. And, he, and he, he said, you know, what was it like to call, those, uh, call and speak to Billy Moore? And you know what the lawyers said? They said, it was the strangest experience I've ever had. What happened, Lee Strobel asked. Well, we, we would console him and he ended up consoling us. You know, we would say things like, are you okay, guys? Are you coping, Billy, Billy Moore would say. I know this is difficult for you. Uh, can I pray for you? It's going to be okay. And we were trying to reach out to him, but he was reaching out to us. Why? Well, because it's obvious that Billy Moore had put his faith in Jesus Christ. And he knew that even though he was guilty of, of murder and deserved to die, Jesus had forgiven him and given him a new life. And now, as he faced death, as he shut his eyes, that he would be taken care of by Jesus, no matter what. So he wasn't anxious or worried. 
Then on August the 21st, 1997 and a half hours before Billy Moore was to be electrocuted, something amazing took place. In fact, it's never, uh, it's unprecedented, in, unprecedented in American history. The Georgian Pardon and Parole Board held an emergency hearing about a model preacher they'd heard about. And let me tell you about something about Billy Moore. There's no doubt that he was guilty. He knew he'd committed the crime and deserved to die. But five members on that board looked at this repentant man and they did something amazing. And it made the front page of the New York Times that day. They looked at Billy Moore and they said, we're going to show you mercy. And they threw out the death penalty against him. And they uh, did something that had never happened before in history. They set the wheels in motion to make him a free man. You know what? Billy Moore really does today. You can do a Google search when you go home and find out his story. But he's worshipping God today in a church just like ours. He's a pastor and God's given him a second chance. And people gave him a second chance. And, you know, that's just like the Jesus that I know. (coughs) He gives guilty sinners who have turned their back on God Second chances. And he forgives us and sets us free from the punishment we deserve because he's taken it all in our place. Question is this morning for you here this morning. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Have you said to him, I want to respond to your offer of adoption. I want to receive your love. Even though I'm uh, bruised and battered and wounded from my sinful life. And I don't believe that I deserve your love. I'll accept it, Jesus. If you today, as you hear the words of Jesus saying, no matter what you've done, the secret stuff, the things that you're so ashamed of, I will forgive if you put your faith and trust in me. And receive the forgiveness. You can do that right now. And that can happen. If this morning you understand that Jesus wants to set you free. And give you a fresh start at new life. That can happen today through Jesus. Give you an opportunity just to do that because it's very simple. It's just a matter of saying thank you to Jesus for all that he's done. It's a matter of admitting that you've messed up and that you don't deserve his love, but that you are accepting Jesus as your Lord and Saviour because of what he's done for you on the cross. Just a simple prayer. And you can receive all of that and be part of his family. I'm going to pray that in just a minute. But before we do, I just want to also speak to you who have known this for many years now. And you know I was talking about speaking to someone from Malawi down in Wodonga Plaza. There are many reasons why that's just a farcical uh, situation. And you know it. You've been thinking that's a silly illustration from the first time I mentioned it, haven't you? There's a number of reasons why. First of all, uh, I couldn't speak to a Yao person uh, because I don't speak the language. I could go down, but he'd be 
We wouldn't be able to even talk because I don't know Yao. The second thing uh, that would make that, you know, totally unrealistic is that they're Muslims and I'm a Christian and they wouldn't even want to talk to me about Jesus currently at this stage and they wouldn't even think of coming to a pastor of a Christian church to talk about it. Another reason is that they're the poorest of the poor and they couldn't afford a ticket out here to come to us to hear a message from us. I think, fourthly, they, they need physical help. And so if we just gave them a verbal message without showing them and practically demonstrating our love for them, he's not going to listen to what I'm going to say unless God works miraculously in his heart. But you know what the good news is? GIA have the Gervins there. They have the Wilmots. They have the Dicks. And soon they're going to have the Keens joining them there as well. And they know the language. Uh, they've been helping them already in practical ways for many years now through Total Life Care. And they've been helping them also now by seeking to train up leaders of life force groups, of life groups, life force groups. They should get those soon, shouldn't they? Life groups. But we're talking about 40 people in each group and you know, almost up to 150 of those groups. And you know what will happen one day, the hope and the prayer is, that as they teach these leaders of these life groups, it won't be even Scott or John or, or the Dicks that will be doing this, but it will be Yao people speaking directly to Yao people about the Jesus I know. Does that excite you? I mean, that is just an opportunity that I don't get to do very often and neither do you. But next week... You can prayerfully think, how can I help that happen as I respond to the Jesus I know? Hey, if you want to respond to Jesus this morning, we're just going to pray a prayer. Why don't we just close our eyes now and let's pray. This might be just a, a prayer that you might pray. You might say something like this and you might just want to repeat it just between you and Jesus today. You know, I say, Jesus, I, I recognise that I've been far from you. I feel so uh, sinful and, and ashamed and, God, I know that you would not, I don't deserve your love. But I thank you that you persist, God. You sent Jesus to die for me. And even though I've turned, you keep loving me. Please forgive me of my sin. This morning, God, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, take even my most secret sins, the ones I'd never tell anyone, the ones I'm totally ashamed of, and nail them to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price. And God, thank you for offering me a new life. I claim now that I am a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. 
Thank you for giving me new life that I don't deserve because of your mercy and your grace. And if you've prayed that prayer today, God's heard you and you're a new creation. And now, God, we just want to say, would you help us who have known you do everything we can to help people far away come to know you? Speak to us this week as we consider how much to give and God, help us to be prayerful and help us to continue to pray for the Yao people that many will come to know you and you'll be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. In these next...